of Genesis. I started before Jonathan, and I think he copied me, uh, and we have somehow aligned, and so last week Jonathan taught through Genesis 27. I was in Genesis 28 with the youth this week, and so uh, Jonathan, uh, being gracious to me, said, well, just teach through Genesis, and so we're actually going to be in Genesis 28 today, so if you will, open your Bibles and turn to Genesis 28. As you turn, just want to let you in on some of the struggles uh, that come with today. I know it's an, an oddity kind of to have someone come and, and preach in view of a call. And so for me, there is uh, the just great opportunity for temptation to want to come up here and stand before you all and say, all right, look at me and consider me. And so let me express my desire in my prayer for the time that we have together. Uh, is that, that even though, yes, you are considering me to come on uh, and, and pastor alongside you all here at Edgewood, my prayer and my desire for today is that we would see Christ glorified and exalted as we open up the word together. So, let's read Genesis 28, and then we'll pray to that end. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Badan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I will go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. 
And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we do thank you for this, this uh, great kindness that you've given us, that we're able to come and worship you and seek you with our brothers and sisters now, as we seek you in song, in prayer, and now in your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would powerfully be at work during this time, accomplishing your good and perfect will as we do open up your word and study from it. We pray that your Holy Spirit would bless us to be able to see Christ more clearly, that for those, if there are any in here who might not yet know you, that you would bring them to know you, that you would open their eyes, that they may come to see Jesus as glorious and worthy of all of their lives. And for those of us who know you, would you continue to work sanctification in our lives, causing us to look more and more like Jesus, your son. So bless this time now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we come to Genesis 28 after seeing the events of 27 where Rebekah and Jacob, they conspire together and deceive Isaac so that Jacob receives the blessing from Isaac instead of Esau. In chapter 25 of Genesis, we have the word from the Lord that says to Rebekah, and no doubt Isaac would have known as well, that the younger would be the one who would receive the blessing and that the older would serve the younger. Yet in chapter 27, as Isaac goes to bless Esau, Rebekah takes things into her own hands. And in her human wisdom and strivings, she deceives her husband so that Jacob, her favored, favored son, would receive the blessing. This reminds us of Genesis 16 and what happens when humans try and take for themselves the blessings that only God can give and they try and accomplish the Lord's work on their own. Genesis 16, as Sarah grows impatient with seeing the Lord fulfill the promises to her and to Abraham, she gives Hagar, her servant, to Abraham to be his wife and to have a son. She thinks, if I could gain a son through her. And what happens as a result? Discord, pain, and suffering. Disunity within the family. So as Rebekah and Jacob deceive Isaac, what happens as a result? Chaos, disunity between the family, distrust now, broken relationships because of their sin. The result we see in 27 of all of this is that Esau now has, has intent to murder Jacob. Rebekah hears of this and tells Jacob to flee and go to her brother Laban. But how would she accomplish this? Jacob's received the blessing. How is she supposed to get Jacob away now? And so her final scheme, her final deception comes into play. She can't stand Esau's Canaanite wives, and so she bemoans the fact that he has these Canaanite wives and goes to Isaac and says, oh, if Jacob marries one of these, what would my life even be? It wouldn't be worth living. And so now we come to chapter 28, and we see Jake, or Isaac calling Jacob to himself, blessing him, but he directs him, do not take for yourself a Canaanite to be your wife, but go, go to your mother's family. Go to your mother's family, or you can find a wife. Now, of course, he will go to find a wife because as the promised offspring, he'll need to have a wife to have children. But even more than that, more immediately, what does this solve? Well, Jacob's getting away from immediate danger. Esau's trying to kill him. He's got a murderous brother after him. And so, <clears throat> uh, Rebecca's plan works, and Isaac directs Jacob to go to Laban, to his mother's brother. So he blesses Jacob. Now, what's different from the blessing here from what we saw in 27? In 27, it was a great blessing. You'll have the fat of the land. May you be prosperous and all this kind of stuff. But the blessing that we see in 28 is an Abrahamic blessing. Notice the language that's used there in verses 3 and following. God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples, give you the blessing of Abraham and to your offspring, that you may take possession of this Canaanite land. 
wonderful blessings, wonderful promises, the promises that were given to Abraham, now passed on to Jacob. Yet what do we see at the end in verse 5? Thus Isaac sent Jacob away. So he's got to flee. Now, of course, he's going to flee to get a wife, right? But he has to flee because his brother is going to try and kill him. So Jacob, be fruitful. Yes, multiply, Jacob. Take possession of this land. May it be awesome for you here. May maybe the promises to Abraham be upon you, but also flee. This is a good time just for some quick application for us and good reminders, hopefully good encouragement. The promises of God do not match up with our perception of reality. We get to know, in Christ Jesus, we get to know and we get to receive great and innumerable blessings. In Christ, what God the Father does for us is amazing. We get to know the love of God. We get to know, as we already sang about, his delight in us. We get to know promises for rest. We get to know promises for joy, peace, promises of an inheritance, promises of ultimate salvation and deliverance from sin, promises that this fallen and broken world will one day be no more, and we will not be fallen and broken anymore. Those are the promises of God that we inherit. Yet, while those promises are true of us, they don't often match up with what we see. And all of that seems so far and so distant at times. It often does not look to be true. And so what we find as we live this life is that the promises of God actually look, they look what's, what's opposite of our lives. They look totally opposed to what we see. And so our lives are often filled with unceasing sorrows, tears, sleepless nights, anxieties, insecurities, fears, loneliness, struggles, struggles with habitual sins that plague our waking hours. We struggle with doubts and questions of God. And sometimes we feel just an overwhelming sense of darkness that we can't explain. So the question then is, how can I be the recipient of such great promises from the Lord when my life often looks like that? And so while this is often our experience, it's not the truest thing about us. So we believe, according to Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, that God created what is seen, all of this, by what is unseen, his word. And all of reality, all of reality ultimately conforms itself to the word of God. What God says, he does. And if he hasn't done it, it's as good as already done. So then the truest thing about us is not our thoughts, not our feelings, not our experiences, but the truest thing about us is what God has said about us, what God has promised to do for us. So we put our hope in the word of the Lord, and there we build our lives. Not on our thoughts, not on our feelings, not on our experiences, not on our circumstances, certainly not on our talents and abilities. We build our lives upon the word of God because that is what is ultimate reality, and that is what is the truest thing about our lives. And the word of the Lord becomes a firm foundation for us. And so we sing in the hymn, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for Jesus, to who for refuge to Jesus have fled. Jacob flees now. He flees for his life. And then in verses 6 through 9, we see an interesting turn of events. 
We see Esau looking at what's going on with Jacob. He receives the blessing. And we see Esau takes notice of the fact that his parents are quite pleased with him to send him away. And it delights his parents to go and marry someone of Abraham's family, someone from within the family. And that it does not please them for, for Jacob to marry one of the Canaanite women. So Esau with the two Canaanite wives that he's already had. And it, it's good to note that the two Canaanite wives that he already has, they come from the seed of Ham. And Ham, as we know, was cursed by Noah, or his son, Canaan, was cursed by Noah. And so not only is it just bad that Esau's married these Canaanite wives, but these Canaanite women are from the cursed line from Noah. And so it displeased Rebekah that Esau would marry these women. And so Esau, maybe trying to gain some favor back from his parents, he says, all right, it displeased my parents that I married these Canaanite women. Let me go find someone from the family. So he goes and he hunts down, he, he goes to hunt down Ishmael, Abraham's son. And there he takes one of Ishmael's daughters, Mahalath. Now, we see this in our own lives, and this is exactly what I think Esau is doing here. As this Esau is trying to regain some favor and some of the blessing, some of the delight of his parents, as he's trying to cover up for his own sin, in his own wrongdoings, all he ends up doing is adding more sin to his sin. And so we see this in our lives as well. If we ever try and attempt to come to the Lord in any other way than through Jesus, we end up adding more sin to our sin. And so if we try to come to the Lord and say, Lord God, do you see how much I read my Bible this week? I stuck with the reading plan even through Leviticus. Or did you see how much I've been attending church lately? Did you check my tithing record? Have you seen what all I've volunteered to do? And yes, go volunteer to be in the nursery. That's a good thing. Jonathan and everyone else will appreciate that. Do you see how much I'm serving? What about family devotion time? Look at how I'm leading my family. Oh, and look at me compared to the people next to me in the views. And so if we try and gain any favor and any blessing and ultimately salvation from the Lord... In any other way than going through Jesus Christ, we're only adding sin to our sin. Because what we're doing when we try and approach the Lord in that way is we're actually saying, we're saying that God is actually less than God. That God judges like we judge. That he judges what is righteous like we judge what is righteous. That he judges what is pleasing like we judge what is pleasing. And so we add more sin to our sin. The Lord is holy and perfect. And apart from Jesus, we have no right to come near him and to try and barter our way in or manipulate our way in is only adding sin to our sin. And so what do we need to do? If we have sin in our life, all right, welcome to the club. But, but with the sin that we have in our lives, we the invitation is there through Jesus. We actually get to go not having to clean ourselves up and make ourselves look good and atone for our sins, but we actually get to go with all of our sin, all of our shame, all the darkness that we're struggling with, and we get to go to Jesus, and he delights when we do so because he delights to deal with and take care of our sin, and he delights to bring his children in and deal with their sin. So let us go empty-handed, not trying to manipulate our way to the Lord, but let us go to the Lord only through Jesus. Verses 10 through 22, then 
kind of frame the last and, and major portion of what we see here in 28. So it's easy for us to harp on Esau. Esau, he didn't get the blessings, and so we look at him and say, well, well yeah, he didn't get the blessings. Look at what kind of guy he is. Of course, he did not deserve the blessings. He's rash, he's impulsive, he's immoral. He didn't deserve them. But then we remember the words of Romans 9, that before Jacob and Esau were born, before they'd done either good or bad, the Lord chose the younger, Jacob, that the promises would continue through him. And what do we look at, what do we see whenever we look at Jacob's life? Do we now look at Jacob here in chapter 28 and we say, yeah, Esau didn't deserve the blessings. Jacob, what a guy. No, we don't. What, what have we seen from Jacob? We've only seen Jacob lie, deceit, uh, deceive, and cheat. So what kind of man is he? Are we ready to crown him as deserving of God's blessings and God's promises? So Jacob, the scoundrel and deceiver, yet at the same time the, re the recipient of great blessings, he flees for his life. As he flees, he stops nowhere in particular, but he has to flee because he needs to rest and sleep. As he sleeps, we see that he begins to dream. And as he's dreaming, he sees this type, of, uh, this type of staircase reaching to the heavens. And on the staircase, he sees the angels ascending and descending upon it. And above him, he sees the Lord. So what's happening here? What is Jacob really seeing when he has this vision in his dream? He is seeing the Lord is giving him a type of revelation, a sight of heaven and earth uniting in this moment. That the Lord is there providing for him. The Lord is over him. The Lord is keeping him. The Lord is protecting him. The Lord is near Jacob. Jacob is fleeing for his life. And just as we read in Psalm 139, Jacob is fleeing for his life, but the Lord is near. And the Lord is providing to him, for him. So, we see the Lord speak to him in verses 13 and following. And notice the promises and the blessings he pronounces upon him. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. I will give you and your offspring this land on which you lie, which you are fleeing from. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and they shall spread abroad in every direction. In your family, the families of the earth will be blessed. And notice Notice the promises he gives them at the end. I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you, but will fulfill all I have promised to do for you. Who is this section all about? It's so tempting to us whenever we focus on the blessings and promises of God to then just become so self-centered. And that's exactly what we see with Israel as we continue throughout the Old Testament is that as we receive God's blessings or we hear of God's promises and blessings, we turn inward and we think, man, look at all this stuff the Lord is pouring upon us and all he desires to pour upon us. But what we see here in 28 is the Lord comes to him and he makes these promises and pronounces these blessings upon Jacob. Who is all of this about? The Lord. All of this is about God. What God is going to do what God promises to do, what God will accomplish. None of this is Jacob. Jacob is the recipient of all of this, and all of this is the Lord's doing. So, as Jacob is fleeing for his life and the undeserving recipient of all of these great promises and blessings, this is the ultimate reality for the life of Jacob. 
not that he is scoundrel, deceiver, liar, cheat. Not that he's fleeing from, for, from his life, from the land that he's been promised. The ultimate reality for his life is what the Lord God has said about him and what the Lord God will do for him. The Lord watches over him, as Jeremiah 1.12. The Lord watches over him and watches over his word, and he will perform it. He will do it. So Jacob awakes. Gotta love the way he awakes. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Jacob gets this glimpse, a taste of heaven and earth uniting, and he awakes in total and complete awe. Notice what's been going on. Jacob is fleeing. He has not been seeking the Lord. He hasn't been up all night praying. He hasn't been meditating on God's word. He hasn't been up all night sacrificing his animals as an offering for his sins. Jacob has been running and Jacob has been sleeping. Yet the Lord comes to him in his grace and mercy and blesses him. So as Moses is receiving this from the Lord as the people of Israel are in the wilderness, as he's receiving this in Sinai, at Mount Sinai, we ask ourselves, why would all of this be so important to Israel? Why is Genesis 28 so important to Israel? Well, Israel is so closely identifies with Jacob as Jacob is later renamed Israel in Genesis 32. Israel, Jacob, he would be brought back to the promised land. But one day Israel, Jacob, would have to flee that promised land once again. His offspring would go with him. And there we, he, they and his offspring, they would be enslaved for over 400 years. So here is Israel in the wilderness after being delivered from slavery in Egypt. And they look nothing like the people of great promise. They look nothing like God's people. Yet, the truest thing about them is what the Lord has said and what the Lord has promised and what the Lord will do. So, they draw encouragement. Just as the Lord promised Abraham and fulfilled his promises to Abraham, just as the Lord made promises to Isaac and fulfilled his promises to Isaac, and just as the Lord has made promises to Jacob and will fulfill his promises to Jacob, so he will do with Israel. So as Israel is in the wilderness, awaiting their opportunity and their time to go into the promised land, what will they have to do? Will they have to go in and acquire for themselves the promises of God? Will they have to work for it, strive for it, grab hold of it? As Sarah attempted to do? Or as Rebecca attempts to do? No, as they go into the promised land, once again, the truest thing about them is what the Lord has said and what the Lord will do. The Lord will give them the promised land. He will fight for them. He will fulfill his promises and fulfill his word. So then the question becomes, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with you? What does this have to do for Edgewood? Just as with Abraham, Jacob is promised that through his offspring, the nations or the families of the earth will be blessed. What we see going back to Genesis chapter 12 is the Lord is working his great plan of redemption and salvation and in the offspring or in the family of Abraham, the Lord would bring that salvation. The Lord would work to that end, blessing the nations 
of the earth. All of these promises, they reach their ultimate fulfillment in the true offspring of Abraham, Jesus. So, Jacob is in this quite, or Jacob is in this place, and he's quite surprised to meet the Lord. He, remember, he stops nowhere, nowhere in particular. He just stops to sleep, and there he meets the Lord. And Jacob, as he awakes, he thinks he's found the place where heaven and earth meet. Heaven and earth were meant to be united. We see this in the early parts of Genesis, in Genesis 1 through 3. They were meant to be one, and we were meant to dwell with the Lord and enjoy relationship and communion with him. Yet as we sinned against the Lord, not only was humanity exiled from the garden, but we are exiled from the presence of the Lord. And so heaven and earth, as were meant to be united, are now separated because of our sin. Yet Jacob gets this glimpse of heaven. Surely I've stumbled upon the place where heaven and earth meet. This must be the house of the Lord. But when the true offspring comes, Jesus, he says something interesting in quoting from Genesis 28. But he changes it ever so slightly. In John chapter 1, as Jesus is calling his first disciples, he calls one of his disciples Nathaniel. And remember, Nathaniel, he, he questions whether someone could from, can come from, uh, someone good could come from the area where Jesus is from. And so as Nathaniel comes up to him, uh, Jesus talks about how he saw him under the fig tree and it impresses Nathaniel. And Nathaniel worships and believes. He's, he's in awe. He's awestruck at what Jesus has known. And Jesus says to him, you think this is great? And he says this in John 1, 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now here's what's crazy about this. The angels are ascending and descending, not on a ladder, not on a staircase, not in Bethel, not in Jerusalem, not in the temple. The angels are ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So where's the place where heaven and earth meet? In the person of Jesus. So why is this so important for us? So even what we see in John 1, it's awesome. But where do we fit into that? And that's where Ephesians 1 comes in, in verses 3 through 14. So if you will, turn with me there. You long for heaven to see the promises and the word of the Lord fulfilled in your life? Ephesians 1, Paul crafts this beautiful praise to the Lord, which we read earlier, showing and praising the Lord for his great work of salvation. Let's see what the Lord has done for us. So, Jacob in Genesis 28, he is blessed by God. Awesome. Even better, in verse 3, in Christ Jesus, God the Father has given us every, not most of, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that we need to walk in a way that is holy and blameless before God. So as the Lord calls you to himself and you begin to walk in this lifetime and you, you begin to enjoy the promises and blessings of the Lord, yet as you walk farther and you get further in your faith and you realize that, oh man, the promises of God don't always match up with my experiences or my circumstances or what's going on within. How on earth am I supposed to walk in a way that is holy and blameless and pleasing to the Lord? This is not what I expected. In Christ Jesus, God the Father gives us every spiritual blessing we need 
to walk holy and blameless before him. Jacob, he gets a glimpse of heaven and earth united. The disciples, they see that. They taste of that as they walk with Jesus. In verses 9 through 10, this is what we will enjoy. In Christ, God has purposed to unite all things in him. Notice what he says. Things in heaven and things on earth. This world, it's not the end. And also, heaven is not the end. The end is not that we one day float off to heaven and then stay there for eternity. That's not what we see in Revelation 21. But in Revelation 20, 21, we see this. Heaven coming to earth. New heavens, new earth, perfectly united. Where we will dwell with God and God will dwell with us. Jacob is promised an inheritance. In verse 11 of Ephesians 1, in Christ we too have obtained an inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ, according to Paul in Romans 8, in the new heavens and the new earth. The truest thing about us then is not our sorrows, sufferings, and sins, or present life experiences, but the truest thing about us is what the Lord has said. And in Revelation 21 and 22, we see there that sin won't be reigning, death won't be reigning, sadness and sorrows won't be reigning, but we will be reigning with Jesus for all eternity. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. The truest thing about us is what God has promised. Jacob, those last promises of Genesis 28, how awesome are they? And we sang that, and uh, he will hold me fast. Jacob is kept, the Lord himself will dwell within us. The Holy Spirit seals us. We are sealed by the Spirit. He is the down payment, the guarantee of the inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Were it up to us, we would have walked away from Christ a long time ago. I know I would have. Maybe you'd last longer than I would. But it's not up to us to keep ourselves in him. We keep ourselves in his love, but ultimately the Lord keeps us because the Spirit seals us. The work that the Spirit has begun, he will bring to completion. So as we await what's to come, the Spirit will bring us there. The Spirit seals, protects, and keeps. And what the Lord has promised he will do, he will do. He'll bring us to himself. What the Lord has promised he will do, he will do. He'll bring us to himself. So what kind of, what kind of guy is Jacob that he should receive these blessings? The scoundrel, the deceiver, so much sin. Yet, we actually see, according to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, we, we might look at Jacob and think, well, look at, look at all this guy's sin. How's the Lord calling this kind of person to enjoy these blessings? His sin is not ignored. His sin is not ignored. According to the patience of God, because of his divine forbearance, he overlooked the sins of his people, knowing that one day in the person of Jesus, he would take the sins of his people upon himself. He would deal with sin. So Jacob, the deceiver, is able to receive great promises from God, not because he is deserving, but precisely because Jesus will one day and deal with that sin. He will deal with it. According to Paul in Galatians 3, Jesus would come 
taking upon himself the curse that his people deserved in order that his people might enjoy the, enjoy the blessings that only Jesus deserves. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, we get to see why we get to step into these great and precious promises of God. This is why it's possible. This is how it's possible that we get to become recipients of God's great and innumerable blessings. In Ephesians 1 verse 7, we see that Jesus, the beloved, becomes for us the redemption for our sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses. How is it possible? Because Jesus would come and take our sin upon himself and on the cross deal with it there. Jacob's response to, uh, to the Lord in Genesis chapter, one, chapter 28. His response is to worship. His response is to submit his life to the Lord. As you'll see as you continue through your, your time in Genesis, Jacob, he still hasn't quite figured it all out yet, and he still struggles. But as the Lord has, has come to Jacob and revealed himself to him, made him the recipient of all of these great and precious promises, that's the truest thing of his life. And his response, Jacob's response, is to worship and submit his life to him. So, as we are the recipients of such great and precious promises in Christ Jesus, what will our response be? Or for those of you who may not yet know those great and precious promises of being in Christ and you see them and your eyes are being opened to them, what will your response be? How will we respond to so great and so glorious a gospel, to so great and glorious a savior? And so the hymn goes, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, that soul though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no, never forsake. That's the truest. That is the truest reality, the truest thing about our lives if we're in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, we get to know great and precious promises. Lord God, I know that in my life, so often my response to seeing these great promises is to turn inward and become even more sinful and self-centered and so we thank you that in your grace and your mercy, not only do you do the work of salvation in our lives and bringing us to yourself and making us the recipients of these great and precious promises, but you also seal us. You are with us. You protect us. You keep us. And the work of salvation that you begin in our lives, you will bring to completion because you are faithful to do it. And so ma no matter what we are going through, what we are experiencing, both inward and outward, the truest thing about our lives is what you have said. It is your word. So may your word to us become our sure foundation. Give us grace to not build our lives upon anything else, but to build it only upon your word. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, just as Jacob is a wicked, sinful man, so are we. Amen? We are wicked in his sight. Uh, and it's only through Christ Jesus, as, as JT said, that he, that he sees righteousness. And so I want to invite you to stand as we proclaim his wonderful, marvelous grace that rids all of our sin. Amen? Let's proclaim. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, Marvelous, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment take? is JT and Carla walk towards the back as they're being received by a young and spry Terry Hathaway. They'll be at the door uh, so that you can uh, give them a word of encouragement on, uh, on your way out. Also, Edgewood members, please don't forget tonight back here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m., you'll be able to hear more from JT, more on a personal nature. You'll, uh, he'll share a little bit about his testimony, but then the floor will be opened up for you to ask any, uh, any questions or try to get any uh, additional insight that you may want to have 
related to uh, his heart and mind as it pertains to ministry and uh, potentially serving here at Edgewood. So thank you for being here this morning. I'll remain down here at the front if anyone has anything that they want to talk about. Other than that, though, you are dismissed.